I have been granted the privilege of serving wonderful people in three congregations, Olivet in Des Moines and Ridgewood in Minnetonka, and now here at CBC for these last almost 11 years. And I'm not sure why I was given this honor, but I, this is going to take maybe a little time or a lot of time, depending on how much blubbering there is. <laughs> But I'm grateful to God for God's unmerited favor and grace. And Judy and I are grateful to you who have been generous with your affirmations and your kindness over the years. Thank you. In many ways, it will be difficult to leave this calling that I love, these people that we love, and the inner core of a church that we believe in. On the other hand, I don't believe it will be all that difficult to step into the next season with Judy and enjoy the challenges and the life that is before us. We're not moving away, and we look forward to continuing in this, our church home. Several folks have said to me something like this, um, the pressure's on, this has got to be your best sermon ever. And I have no pretense that this will be my best sermon. What I would like to do is I'd like to share with you in a personal way that which has motivated my ministry. And perhaps as I share my journey, God will encourage you to step out in response. The text is Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. The title of the sermon is The Call to Service. Before we move forward, let's pray. Gracious God, you have always been faithful. One more time, I ask that you will speak and that we will respond, all of us, in your name. Some of you know that I'm a third-generation pastor. If you read CPC Life, uh, you may have discovered that there, but I'm a third-generation pastor. Both of my grandparents and my father were pastors. And I have a small claim to be the only son of Roger and Dottie Anderson who went into the ministry. Some of you don't know that Roger and Dottie Anderson, who are members here, and I believe will be at the next service, were the founding pastors of this community. I never knew my mother's father and mother. Grandpa, Reverend Charles Kegarais, died before I was born. And Grandma, Hannah Grace Kegarais, died when I was very young. I do, however, remember well my father's parents, Reverend Charles Francis and Sarah Greeley Anderson. They were good Scottish folk with roots in Aberdeen and Glasgow. And I need to apologize to some of my Scandinavian friends because for years I have been telling you that in the 14th century, Scotland emptied its prisons and detention centers and deported those people to Norway, Sweden, and Denmark. <laughs> I need to tell you that that's not true. It was actually the 13th century. 
Anyway, Nana and Grampy would often visit, especially around the holidays. Nana had hair that flowed below her waist, though we rarely got to see her long locks. She kept it tight in a bun on the back of her head. As a couple, they reminded me a little bit of the people in Grant Wood's American Gothic painting. (laughs) Can you see it? (laughs) Some things about my grandparents seemed a bit unusual. During their visits, they would get up early in the morning, go out to the kitchen, pour a cup of hot water, put a little milk in it, and drink it. What was that about? (laughs) And then they would retire to the guest room to pray. The doors in our parsonage were hollow corridors, and you could hear everything that passed through. And I could hear easily my grandparents as they began to pray. We bless you, Jesus. Jesus, 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 we bless your holy name. We praise you. There's no one like you. Holy is your name. Holy, holy, holy are you, Jesus. We bless you. And as a young boy, it all seemed strange to me, the sounds coming from the other side of the door. Much later, I learned that they had become to understand something of the holiness of God. Christian faith and Christian service begins with an awareness of the holiness of God. Isaiah came face to face with the holiness of God in chapter 6. He records the encounter. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him was seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah mentions that all this took place in the year that King Uzziah died. I'm not sure that this fact adds anything to the story other than to mark the moment of this incredible encounter. Uzziah became king at age 16. He was an egotistical little guy, and he decided that it would be his right to go into the temple to offer the sacrifice and to offer the offerings on the altar. He contracted leprosy, and that led to his death. It was in the year that he died that Isaiah had this encounter where he saw the Lord high and exalted. And during this encounter, Isaiah saw seraphim. I've never seen a seraphim. Have you? These celestial creatures were present, and there have been artists who have tried to depict what a seraphim might look like, but none of their renderings are helpful to me. How does one describe an indescribable experience? How does one put into words an encounter with the holiness of God? Isaiah saw the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth 
is full of his glory. And this powerful event moved him beyond words. When have you experienced the holiness and the majesty of God? For me, it happened in early adulthood. On the shores of Bar Harbor, Maine, the sky was incredibly blue, dotted with a few puffy summer clouds. Seagulls drifted on the currents above the sea. An occasional lobster boat came by, stopping to check the pots. As far as my eye could see stretched the endless Atlantic. The sea would rise and fall and swell and fall and then crash powerfully on the rocks. Over and over again, the sea would roll in and explode on the shoreline below me. As I looked down into the turbulent waters and then looked up again at the vastness of the ocean and saw the, the continual coming of the waves, the power, I became acutely aware of the majesty, the awesomeness, the holiness of God, God's power and God's might. There were no seraphim. There were no voices, only God's presence. And I knelt on that shore before our creator God. Where have you been overwhelmed? By the majesty and the power of God. The awesome beyond and above us presence of God. And the Grand Tetons, on a clear starry night, holding a baby for the first time in your arms, hearing the words of Vivaldi's Gloria or the Messiah wash over you, Christian faith begins with a glimpse of the holiness of God, this awesome beyond and above us power of God, the majesty, the glory of our creator, the richness of perfection. And when we gaze upon the holiness of God, something else happens. Before God's holiness, we begin to see ourselves and we turn away. In the presence of God's holiness and righteousness, Isaiah cried out, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When we see God, we see ourselves. We see how far we are from perfection. We see the meagerness of our efforts. Like Isaiah, we know that all of our best efforts are like dirty rags. We see our sinfulness and we cry out, Woe is me, for I am a man, I am a woman of unclean lips. When I stood on the shore at Bar Harbor, I was overwhelmed by the grandeur of God. Alongside God, I saw my own smallness. I felt so insignificant. And with the psalmist, I could cry out, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens, the moon, and the stars that you have ordained, who am I? Who am I? 
Some people believe that pastors, the Roger Andersons, the John Crosbys, the Jody Finos, the James Madsons, even the Dan Andersons are a little closer to God, a little above the common folk. But I can tell you that as much as anyone, we know our insignificance. We know our failings, our sinfulness, our limitations. And like David, our sin is ever before us. My sin is ever before me. For me, the challenge has been an ongoing struggle to see people as God sees them, to sometimes treat others as less than in the image of God, to hold prejudices, to mock, to look down on, to sometimes see people as objects. My sin is ever before me. I resonate with the Apostle Paul who said, I am the chief of sinners. I do not understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. What a wretched man I am. Who can deliver me from this cycle of horror? When we see our brokenness, we know that we can never measure up. We can never stand tall alongside holy God. Psalm 103 tells us that God knows our brokenness. God knows that we are fragile. And God takes the initiative to redeem broken people. Isaiah continues to tell of his encounter. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, The sea, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Do you grasp the power of that imagery? Isaiah, who saw himself before a holy God and confessed his brokenness, said, I am a man of unclean lips. And the agent of God came with a coal and touched his lips and said, Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Yom Kippur is the Jewish day of atonement. It is the one time of the year, the once-a-year time in ancient Israel, when the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies to offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. It was the one time when people could be made right with God and be made right with each other. Isaiah did not need to wait for Yom Kippur. Right now, your sin is taken away. Your guilt is atoned for. Like Isaiah on my own, I cannot, we cannot come close to God on our own. If we are to know and to relate to a God of holiness and majesty, this God of might and power, if we are to be forgiven, we need someone beyond ourselves, someone greater than ourselves to act on our behalf. We need God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And this is grace. And this grace is seen most completely in the ministry and work of Jesus. During Advent, we have been remembering that heaven came down in the baby of Bethlehem. G.K. Chesterton noted that the hands that made the sun and the stars were too small to reach to the heads of the cattle. Everlasting God stepped into our world to touch the lips of ruined, broken people, to offer grace and mercy 
and forgiveness. Romans 5 tells it this way. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners. There is no credit given for growing up in a pastor's home. It does not matter if we are student leaders or leaders in our church. It does not matter if we command attention in wider circles. It does not matter if we learn how to act and behave in ways that garner the approval of others. We are all broken and all fall short of God. It was at a youth camp in Winona Lake, Indiana, when this reality came home for me. At the close of one of the evening gatherings with 4,000 high schoolers in a large auditorium, the speaker gave an invitation to walk to the front to surrender our lives to following Jesus. I was way in the back with my friend John, who I had just met from Cleveland, Ohio. John leaned over and asked me if I would walk with him to the front. He wanted to surrender his life to Jesus. He was too timid to make that step on his own. So we stepped out into the aisle, and I did the right things. I bowed my head as if I was praying, and I put my arm on his shoulder like I was the more spiritual one, and we walked to the front of that auditorium. And when we got to the front, an adult came to my friend Johnny and said, come with me. And then another adult approached me and said, are you coming with me? I said, oh, no, 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 I'm with, I'm with, and he was gone. And I knew that I was as phony as a $3 bill. I knew that I had been play acting my whole life. I knew that I was shallow and hollow and hypocritical and that I needed God's grace and forgiveness, and I surrendered my life to Jesus. God loved this broken, shallow, hypocritical, snotty-nosed pastor's kid. God forgave me, cleaned me out, and welcomed me into the family. Your sin is atoned for. Your guilt is taken away. It was incredible. I was free, truly, truly liberated, truly forgiven. Then Isaiah heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. God did not say to Isaiah, Now I've got you where I want you. Here's the deal. Serve me or I'm going to tell everybody about your unclean lips. God did not say, You owe me big time, Isaiah. So pay up. God simply asked the question, Whom shall I send? And Isaiah said, send me. Our walk of faith, our response of service begins when we stand before the holiness of God and in that moment see the distance created by our sin. When God touches us with grace, forgives us, cleanses us, sets us free, there is nothing we want to do more 
than to serve this gracious God. The night that I surrendered my life to Jesus at Winona Lake, my feet never touched the ground. I could hardly believe that God loved despicable me. The next night, on my own, I walked that aisle again. This time, I wanted to say, whatever you want, wherever you want, God, I'll go. I'll serve you. God did not need to ask. Service is not given out of obligation. Service is a response of gratitude to the one who rescues us. At the end of that Indiana camp experience, I returned to high school in Connecticut and wrote the obligatory paper, What I Did With My Summer Vacation. I wrote how God had changed my life. And every time I capitalized the personal pronouns for Jesus, he, him, his, my Jewish English teacher crossed it off and docked me points and lowered my grade. And that sucked a little wind out of my sails. I would love to tell you that my faith has never wavered, but it has. I would love to tell you that my commitment to service never waned. I told God I would serve in any capacity, except maybe not as a pastor or a missionary. Perhaps as a gifted, affluent businessman serving the church as a wealthy layperson would, would do. <laughs> I would love to tell you that from that point of surrender, that I have lived a sinless life, but none of that would be true. I have needed God's forgiveness and God's grace over and over and over and over and over again. And when God says back to me over and over and over and over again, Dan, I love you. I know you. I know you are fragile. I know your frame, and I love you still. When God forgives, I want to serve. We want to serve this God of mercy and grace. Long ago, I heard the song Eternal Life. The text is from the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. It has become the prayer of my life. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. As this song is sung, perhaps you might also say, Lord, make me. Make us instruments of your peace. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. 
Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Oh, divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born to eternal We serve not out of obligation, but out of gratitude to our gracious God. It all begins with the holiness of God, who touches us in our brokenness, who makes us clean and invites us into service for the King. I can also tell you that it ends with the holiness of God. Just days before my dad slipped into the presence of his Savior, Judy and I sat by his bed as he drifted in and out of consciousness and cognitive awareness. Suddenly he called out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We don't know exactly what Dad saw or experienced, but I do know that the Bible concludes in the book of Revelation with a glimpse of heaven that is similar to what Isaiah experienced. There, four celestial creatures call out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Though sometimes hidden from our view by our dark sin, sometimes clouded by circumstances of life, God's character, God's holiness, God's compassion does not change God knows us, God loves us, God forgives us, and God invites us into a life of service. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Amen.